0: Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, well, you know, if you uh, heard Pastor Landon, Pastors Mike, Don, Sean, and Krista are out this morning. And so if you do not know, my name's Chris. Uh, my incredible wife, Lindy, and I get the privilege to oversee and lead, hands down, the best group of teenagers on the face of the earth here at this church. and And it's an honor that we get to do that. Well, Pastor's not here, but I promise you, he's going to listen to this later. So, Pastor, as you are listening to this, wherever it's from, uh, whether it's driving home from Chad's church, whether it's in your home office or chilling in your Lazy Boy, Lord, Pastor, I just uh, I thank you for the opportunity to be up here this morning. I don't take it lightly. And I love you. We're in this series that we're calling Red. Words of hope. And now we're calling it red because if you notice in a lot of Bibles, there's this cool little thing where anytime Jesus is quoted talking, um, anytime he's quoted, the, his words are highlighted in red. And how many of you know when Jesus speaks, he speaks words of hope? Amen? And so I really want to encourage you with something. If you haven't had a chance to listen to all of these sermons, if you've missed a few weeks, go back to our website, check them out. There are some powerful topics, some powerful sermons uh, that I believe could could impact your life. I mean, we've, we've talked about things like having hope in hopeless situations and finding hope when life is just disappointing and all these other things. So go back and check that out. But I'm going to continue in this this morning by talking about this. I'm going to talk about having hope for when Jesus isn't what you expected. Having hope for when Jesus is not what you expected. Did you know that the Jesus the early believers were expecting to come was was not the Jesus that came to this earth? Long before Jesus was born... There were these prophecies about this Messiah, this Savior, that would come and set God's people free from captivity. He would be the Savior of the world, and hear this, he would establish his kingdom on earth. Well, back in the ancient times, this was all taking place, where whole nations were enslaved to captivity. Uh, Kings ruled and then expanded their kingdoms by conquering the surrounding nations, The people of Israel expected this Messiah, this coming king, to be this warrior, this ultimate warrior king that would kind of come down to heaven looking like Rambo, just strapped up and ready for battle. But then this man named Jesus steps into the scene saying that he is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. The only problem is he doesn't look like Rambo. In fact, he's just this average looking Middle Eastern man working the family business. He learned the same trade that his father Joseph did. And he's not leading an army. He's not leading an army to free the Israelites from their captivity or from the Roman rule. But instead, he's telling people that they're forgiven of their sins, he's healing people's ailments. And he's hanging out with Roman government officials. So needless to say, even from the start, from the beginning, this guy Jesus is not what the people expected. And so as we continue on this morning, I want to narrow in on a situation where there were unmet expectations regarding Jesus and his cousin, John the Baptist. And so just real quickly, a little bit to know about John the Baptist is... That John's kind of first ministry assignment, his first role in ministry was to prepare the way for this Messiah that was going to come. Okay, he was tasked with teaching and preaching about this coming king and then getting the people ready for him. And so then also, John the Baptist gets his name John the Baptist because he would, I know it's hard, but he would be baptizing people. In water, And so one day as he's doing his, you know, big celebration, baptism service, they're in the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. This is where we're going to pick up in our scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, go to the book of John, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, where it says, Then the Pharisees, who have been sent to ask him, sent to ask John, they say, If you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet— then, what right do you have to baptize? And so John told them, Listen, I baptized with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry will follow mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. And then, verse 29, hear this. Verse 29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he says, Look, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right here, John is exclaiming to everyone, this right here is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the guy that we have been waiting for. He seems to be in full belief that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, fast forward a little bit later on into Jesus' ministry and Jesus is doing his Jesus thing I mean, he's been doing it for some time now. He's already preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's calmed the storm. He's healed the paralytic. And he's just sent out his 12 disciples to go and do ministry on their own for a little bit. And it's this time in our story or this time in history that we find John the Baptist in prison. And so this is where we're going to pick up in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 5. Where it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison... Heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples. So John had his own students, those he was mentoring. He sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? What? come on, John, this is your family, bro. This is the guy that you could not contain yourself when you saw him and you exclaimed, this is the guy that we've been waiting for. And now all of a sudden, you're doubting if he really is who you thought he was. Now, church, I don't know what may have triggered this change in mindset for John, but I think it could most likely have something to do with his current circumstances, Look, from my study of this passage, I don't exactly know how long he's been in prison, but I can imagine it's pretty tough. I mean, I can imagine prison in itself is tough, but especially back then, he's probably struggling. He's probably in a hard, he's probably living, uh, life's probably hard. And so I can just imagine the thoughts running through his mind being something like, Jesus, why am I still here? Look, I supported you, I followed you, I taught people about you. If I stay in here much longer, I'm going to be executed. Look, I can only imagine the torments of doubts and fear creeping into his mind that maybe, just maybe, he has devoted his life to the wrong person. Now, I believe that Jesus saw John's distress through the disciples that came to relay this message, this question. I think Jesus saw John's distress and what's so cool about Jesus is that he understands the struggles that we as humans face when we are weak and alone like John was in this moment. And so this is how Jesus responds to that question asking, dude, are you this guy that we thought you were? And so Jesus says this in verses four and five. He says, Jesus told them, go back to John, tell them what you have heard and seen. He goes on to say, the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news has been preached to the poor. Jesus is saying, look, okay, if you got doubts, stick around and see what I'm doing and then go back and tell what is happening. And now as I read this, I think to myself, How many of us today can relate in some way to John? How many of us can relate to John where we get into certain situations in life that seem so hopeless that we start to doubt everything we once believed so strongly in? Look, maybe you're in here this morning and you're about to give up on Jesus because you are in a situation right now and you cannot figure out why he hasn't rescued you from it. Maybe you are in here this morning and thoughts of doubts and fears that you will never be able to climb out of whatever hole you are in are in your mind. Maybe you're in here this morning giving Jesus one more chance to reveal himself to you because this life is not what you expected it to be when you started following Jesus. Or maybe you're in here this morning and you walked in for so long just refusing to step into this Christian life because you look around the world, all the hurts and pains, and you can't expect that this Jesus you hear about in the Bible could ever allow this kind of stuff to happen. Look, you may be in here in need of hope because Jesus and this life of following him is not quite what you expected. Well, if that's you, I'd like to condense Jesus' response, and I'd like to respond this way by saying, if Jesus is not quite what you expected and this life of following him has not met this expectations of what you thought, I would say what you need to do is you need to look to the experiences. You need to look to the experiences. And in Jesus' response to John's question, he's pretty much telling him, look at all the things that are happening In your doubt, look at what people are experiencing. Look at what you have experienced. Look, when we're in a situation in life and all you seem to see is the struggle directly in front of you, almost as if there are blinders, keeping you from seeing Jesus in the situation, I urge you, church, look to the experiences. And so there's three types of experiences that I would like to point out to you this morning that I think could be of help And remembering who Jesus is in your life. And so the first one is this. When Jesus is not what you expected, look to the experiences of God's word. Look to the experiences of God's word. Look, this is not just a collection of pages that we like to read for fun. And it's not something we do just to check off of our list. Listen, it is God-breathed, and it holds so much more than we could possibly understand. One of the greatest things about God's word, one of the greatest things about the Bible is it has relatable truths. Come on, it's got true stories, true principles that can relate to us today. Now, am I saying, there, you're not going to find every little thing that we in 2019 are struggling with in the Bible. You are not going to, as you're reading through the Bible, you will not figure out how to react or what to do when someone's hitting up your spouse on social media. You are not going to figure out what to do as you're reading the Bible and you're not going to see any situation where your kid is texting you that they hate you. They want nothing to do with you. But I promise you, say, promise me, Chris. Look, I promise you, I promise you there is not a situation you could be going through where there is not a parallel story and or principle that will help you walk through it. Look, if you read it, You'll know what I'm talking about. And even if you've got to Google scriptures to read when you fill in the blank. Now, don't let that be the only time you read the Bible, but hey, let that be a start. Let that be a launching pad if you don't even know where to begin. Please be encouraged that when Jesus isn't what you expected, there were people 2,000 years ago that could relate to you and know what you are going through. Now, not only does God's word have relatable truths, but also it has promises fulfilled. It's got promises fulfilled. Look, Jesus knew what he was doing when he responded to the disciples with this message. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, dead are raised to life, and good news is being preached. Jesus knew what he was doing because he knew that John would recognize those words, almost word for word, being in response to Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah 61. So that the John's disciples would go back to John and say, look, uh, look, John, this is what Jesus says. And you know what I, the Old Testament scripture says. You know these words of what it says about this coming Messiah. We just experienced it and we just saw those promises being fulfilled. Church, when you look to God's word, you are going to find story after story, experience after experience of promises being fulfilled in people's lives. And so, when you are looking to the experience of God's word, because Jesus isn't quite what you expected, I'll tell you this seek out the promises being fulfilled and then use those to fuel your faith as you are moving forward in whatever situation. That you're in. And so, if Jesus isn't quite what you expected, you can find hope by looking to the experiences of God's Word. But not just there, you can look to the experiences of yourself. You can look to the experiences of yourself. When we read this story of John questioning if Jesus is who he says he is, you've got to have the same thought I have. Or I'm thinking like, John, did you forget all the incredible things Jesus has done? Dude, you were there. You baptized Jesus. And when you actually baptized him, a literal voice from heaven came down. Everyone heard it. Not just you because you're crazy. But everyone heard this voice from heaven say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. How could you forget this stuff, John? But here's the thing. And. I think so many of us understand this is that we oftentimes tend to be so focused on our own current situation that we can't see the experiences that we've had in the past, but we forget how he has gotten us through things before. And look, hear me when I say this, Satan does not have to knock you down himself. He just needs you to think there is no reason to keep moving forward and you're going to end up doing it yourself. I'll say it again, Satan doesn't have to knock you down himself. He just needs you to think that there is no uh, experiences you can use to fuel you going forward. He just needs you to think that there is nothing that you can look back to and say, yes, God has revealed himself in my life. Because the last thing Satan wants is for you to trust Jesus. And so when all seems lost and, and what you thought your life was supposed to look like doesn't quite meet the expectations that you thought I'll tell you this, open up your eyes and look back to the experiences that you've already had. Don't let Satan put those scales over your eyes. Say, Satan, get out of here. (laughs) There's a saying that I was just about to say, but I could not think of it. Not today, Satan. That's what I was thinking of. All right. So here, this is why, uh, man, I missed such a powerful moment to just, boom, (laughs) not today, Satan. Anyways, this is why I think journaling is so important. I think journaling is cool. I'll just be full disclosure. I don't journal as much as I should. But I think this is why journaling is so important. It's because in moments where maybe we're like, Jesus has never done anything in my life. We can go back to maybe times where we've journaled and we've written down what God did. And it could remind us of what he's done. Now, maybe you're sitting in here thinking, okay, Chris, that sounds all fine and dandy. But I don't even have experiences of my own to look to. Well, my friend, to that, I would tell you this. I would tell you that God has moved in your life, whether you recognize it or not. I would tell you, God has moved in your life, whether you recognize it or not. I think we oftentimes just don't see or recognize the subtle move of God. We may pass it off as coincidence, or we we may just say, well, that was lucky. When in reality, God is working. He's always working. In fact, in John chapter five, verse 17, Jesus says, my father is always working and so am I. Sometimes we just need to pause and think back to times where maybe we didn't realize it, but we did have an experience and we did, even though we didn't recognize it as one. So when life seems to have beaten you down, You're stuck in some situation that seems so dark. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And this Jesus that you've heard about, that loves people and is always there for them, doesn't quite seem to be what you expected him to be. I tell you, to look to the experiences of God's word. Look to the experiences that you yourself have had. And then finally, look to the experiences of others. Look to the experiences of others. I think it was important that John's disciples were there to witness what Jesus was doing. In, in I got my stuff all mixed around. In, um, I'm sure Jesus would have believed it for himself if he was there in person to experience all this. But I definitely think it helped that John was able to see the experiences others had with Jesus as well. Because sometimes, I think our own experiences may not seem to be enough. But then that's where we can lean on the experiences of those closest to us. I think John was in a dark, lonely place while he was in prison. But Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, says, look, two people are better off than one For they can help each other succeed when one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in trouble. This is why I think it's so vitally important to surround yourself with godly people to lean on. I think it is so important to surround yourself with godly people to lean on. Now, this does not mean that you've got to cast aside those around you that don't follow Jesus, but... If you need to rely on someone else's faith in Jesus to get you through whatever you're struggling with, you've got to surround yourself with people that actually have a faith in Jesus. Look, there's this true story in the Bible about this group of friends who their their buddy needed to be healed, so this group of friends took him to Jesus. And scripture says that Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the faith of the friends. Jesus saw their faith. We need to surround ourselves with godly people to lean on in our lives. And shameless plug, but that's why C-groups are so important. Because uh, Because whatever struggle you may find yourself in, and it's causing you to possibly lose faith and maybe have doubts about Jesus in your life, then you've got people surrounding you whose faith you can lean on. People who can share with you the experiences with Jesus that they've had for themselves as an encouragement, but also people that can then remind you and say, hey, you've had experiences of your own. Don't forget it. Surrounding yourself with godly people to lean on is so vital when we're having doubts in our faith with Jesus. Look, it's hard to walk through this life alone. And if you are walking through doubts in Jesus alone, it's not going to be a long battle. But we've got to look to the experiences. And so as I kind of start wrapping up, I've found what I believe to be some relatable truths in the story of John the Baptist's doubts and fears of Jesus for just a moment being what he did, not not being what he expected. And from Jesus' response, look, we can find strength when we look to the experiences of God's word when we look to the experiences of ourselves and when we look to the experiences of those that we've surrounded ourselves with. I want to close with this final thought. After Jesus responds to John's disciples, he says, hey, go back and tell John this. The disciples go back to the prison to talk to John. Jesus turns to the crowd and in verse 11, he tells the crowd this. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus, you're telling me that this guy who totally just questioned your divinity, just doubted everything about being the you being the Messiah. You're gonna say he's this great guy? Now I'll tell you this, church. As I read this and I see this interaction. This is what this tells me. You can write this down. You may have even heard this before. But it tells me that doubt doesn't disqualify. It tells me that doubts don't disqualify. Look, it shows me that any doubts John may have had did not disqualify him from God's plan for his life. It shows me that the doubts we may have Do not stop us from being who God created us to be and then doing what God created us to do. Look, we know life can be hard. It's gonna be difficult. And there are things that are gonna happen where we may feel weak, lonely, and possibly even abandoned by Jesus. But it's in those times that, that we can rekindle the fire of our faith if we can just remember to look to the experiences The experiences in God's word where there are countless heroes of our faith who had doubts, but God prevailed through them in the end. Looking to the experiences, remembering the times in your own life where God has moved and he has revealed himself to you. But then when all else fails and that isn't enough, you can look to the experiences of the godly people you have surrounded yourself with using their faith to keep you moving forward. Church, I'll tell you this. If there's anything that I want you to remember this morning, if there's one thing I want you to remember this morning, I want you to walk out of here knowing this. It's that Jesus may not always be what you expected, but he will always be what you need. He may not always be what you expected him to be in your life, but I can promise you he'll always be what you need. And John the Baptist can attest to what I'm about to say next. But even though Jesus will always be what you need, what you need won't always come how you want it to. And it won't always come when you want it to. That's true. But I can promise you he is what you need. Yeah. So we got to remember to look to the experiences.